0: My husband Tim and I recently got away for a few days with some dear, dear friends up in the White Mountains. Our cabin sat at the base of a few of these formidable peaks which we could see out our kitchen window. While there and in the spirit of the landscape we were in, we all watched the rock climbing documentary one of the nights called The Dawn Wall. This movie tells the story of famed rock climbers, Tommy Codwell and Kevin Jorgensen, and their pursuit of the summit of The Dawn Wall, a never before climbed face of El Capitan, the iconic vertical rock formation in Yosemite National Park. A popular spot for climbers, El Capitan had been climbed for decades by famous climbers, but the successful pursuit of the elusive Dawn Wall remained seemingly insurmountable for its sheer rock face and few holds, places where you can curl your fingers around the rock to climb. The Don wall gets its name due to the fact that it faces east and catches the first rays of sun at dawn that illuminate its face, casting pink-orange rays on its formidable exterior. Over the course of a decade, Tommy had faced a number of intense life challenges that led him to want to achieve the seemingly impossible and find a way to scale the Dawn Wall. He found a partner in fellow climber Kevin Jorgensen and the two friends trained for over six years. They studied every crack, every crevice and crag in the rock to find a way to the top. In rock climbing, you need your partners. In addition to needing someone to hold your ropes, climbers need each other to help them find their way. When one climber attempts a climb, the one below is watching and learning from that person, noticing where they put their hands, where they struggle, and how they move their body. When one falls, shy of the end, they leave a way for the other to pick up and follow. So in this way, Tommy and Kevin were going to climb the Don wall in sections, or what are known as pitches. One would start a section or pitch while the other one stayed below and held their ropes for them. When that person finished, they would go back down, hold the ropes for the other, and back and forth preparing a way as they made their way up to the top. There was this really hard section of the wall called Pitch 15, and it was hard because it went across rather than up. And Tommy, after much trial, was finally able to complete this section, but Kevin kept falling over and over again. They decided after some time that Tommy would keep going, while Kevin stayed behind on pitch 15, trying to catch up. Tommy got within a day of finishing his climb, a dream that he had had for years, this culminating moment that represented moving through some of the hardest moments in his life. It was just a few handholds away, but Kevin was still back down below struggling on pitch 15 and starting to think that he wasn't going to be able to make it. They had already been on the wall, eating and sleeping on beds, hanging from the rock for three weeks. Tommy had a choice. Go ahead and achieve this feat that he had so tirelessly worked for, or go back down and help Kevin. In the end, he decided that he couldn't summit the mountain without his friend, so he went back down. He held Kevin's rope. He gave him encouragement and waited with him as he tried over and over again. And he finally got it. Kevin then quickly caught up to where Tommy had left off, and together, the two friends summited the wall something that no one had ever been done before, and something that they did together. This month's worship theme is humility, and I love this story for the way it embodies this theme. The humility in knowing one's need of others, a counter to so many of our cultural messages of being the best, charting our own courses alone and rising above the rest. Here, we find an example of someone staying low, waiting, and knowing that their rise is inextricably linked to that of their companions, that their success is shaped by how it leads and prepares a way for others to follow. And I've been thinking about this story a lot as we transition into the busy holiday season. I start out every December asking myself, how do I want to spend this time? As Frank explored last week in his sermon, it is easy to get swept away in the busyness and stress of buying and planning and navigating the challenges that the holidays bring. And alongside this is the very real reality that this time of year is not joyful and celebratory for all of us. This can be a time of sadness and grief, made more so by the urging all around us to be happy and merry. As the nativity travelers can attest, traversing the land with all their worldly possessions on their backs guided by only a star. Sometimes the way is long and lumbering. In addition to the external preparations that we make this time of year, however we may look at this season, building Yule logs, buying gifts, lighting candles, sharing time with family and friends, There is a gathering in that is upon us, one that asks us to prepare for the long winter ahead, the returning sun, and the birth of hope and peace in the world. So how might we spend this season, address both the busyness and the sadness that hangs over this time of year? And here I think about those two friends who prepared a way to the top for each other. How might we help each other course paths for ourselves to scale the mountains of our days? And how might this invitation call us to live into our humble need of one another? Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote, I have gifts that you do not have, so consequently I am unique. You have gifts that I do not have, so you are unique. God has made us this way so that we will need each other. We are made for a delicate network of interdependence. God has made us so that we will need each other. Isn't that a wonderful way to think about humility? By sharing our gifts with the world, our stories and presents, the roots we scale up our rock walls, we steady the ropes and mark the crevices and holds for the next person to grab onto. We can't do any of this alone. And humility for me is claiming the power of this the power of knowing my need of others, and the truth of our interdependence. The author of our reading this morning, the minister and poet Jan Richardson, wrote this short introduction to her poem, where she shared, Others have traveled here ahead of me, each in their own fashion, yet providing pieces that I can use, scraps of words, images, prayers, stories, fragments that help me find my way and enable me to smooth the path a bit for others yet to come. In some sense, she goes on, we are all creating the road as we go, yet beneath this, Undergirding this is a path carved by those who traveled here before us, who followed the God who called them to the journey, who gave themselves to preparing a way for the one who came into the world to move alongside us. The one who came into the world to move alongside us. For me, that one isn't necessarily God in the traditional sense, but the bonds and commitments between us. I have been part of UU faith communities for over 12 years, and one of the things that is affirmed for me again and again is the way these spaces of love, community, justice, and spirit carve out paths for us when we can't see our way through. And I have certainly delighted these last months in the way that this congregation does this. After the last nearly three years of distance and separation, the ways through this community are filled again with the smells of soup before vespers, the sounds of voices singing in unison, and the sight of beautiful faces coming through Zoom. In our showing up for each other, we show each other the way through the turns and pitches of our lives, reminding each other every day that we won't leave you on the mountainside. This path has been set by those who traveled before us. And you all have certainly been that for me, helping me find my way through this learning and forming into ministry as an intern. You have held my ropes, shown me the way through the twists and vulnerable turns of being new to something, and I thank you all for that. This is what a faith community is at its best, a place where we can need each other and through that need, offer our gifts that carve a path for us all to reach the top together. And I do want to pause here and reflect for a moment on these quilts and how they speak to this message. Being part of the group that hung them was a poignant experience and one I have carried with me as I've reflected on this notion of preparing the way this past week. It was hard not to tear up as we gently carried them through the sanctuary and encountered the people their messages memorialized. And I couldn't help but feel the literal weight and humble power of these panels, stitched lovingly together by grieving hands that call each of us to remember forward. The AIDS quilt is the largest community art installation in the world. If these panels were put end on end, they would stretch over 50 miles. A way that charts a painful history and legacy, one of inhuman discrimination, heartache and grief, and also one of hope and healing and commitment to the future. The National AIDS Memorial says, by sharing the story of the struggle against HIV AIDS, we remember in perpetuity the lives lost. We offer healing and hope to survivors, and we inspire new generations of activists in the fight against stigma, denial, and hate for a just future. Cleve Jones, who conceived of the quilt in 1985, said in an interview about the project, quilts are traditionally made of cast-offs, taking scraps of fabric of different colors and textures and sewing them into something warm and comforting. Jones and others carved a way through history to tell their stories, their humanity, and worth through these panels, ensuring that we don't forget that statistics are people, real-life people, those cast-offs that, when gathered together, keep warm the promise of and insistence that we keep the way open for the next generation. So as we go about our busy preparations this time of year, cooking our meals, wrapping our presents, lighting our candles, I hope that we let ourselves find balance and direction by the light of this community. Let it waken our senses to the sights, the smells, sounds, and textures of the paths we trod together, the ones broken for us and the ones that we are called to break in our own unique and gifted ways, each one of us, stitched together in the name of warmth and comfort for those who need it most in these days. Let us pay attention to the courses charted by the companions beside us, how they help us to find our holds and traverse our pitches, and the way that this may in turn chart a path for those alongside us. How might that scrap of conversation and passing, this invitation to show up, the story on our lips that wants to be told, how do these offerings, these gifts, like the returning sun at dawn in the east casts pink-orange glow on the mountains and valleys of our lives, how might they illuminate our path? A course so mysterious and great that we all find our way. Amen, and may it be so.